Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Jones of all ages, welcome to the main event of the evening. It's Talking Joe with Chief and Steve. Oh, yo! Yo, Joe! Hey, 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 Chief Doggy Dog. Yeah. Coming in with the beats, baby. Mm, juice and gin. <laughs> How are you? S-Jub 7. Yeah, S-Jub 7. Um, and the Chief Doggy Dog. Outstanding, That's, baby. That's the name of the album, is it? <laughs> Don't tempt to me. I better up my tunes game. I can't just be singing the (laughs) the sting from Mask every time. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not sure if you could call what I was doing singing or not, but um, how have you been? Oh, good, dude. Uh, Some weeks back, I completely botched my opportunity to have a 10-year anniversary reunion, uh, sort of, I suppose, Zoom call, which was then going to be broadcast out to the world uh, with the Mamma Mia company. I managed to make it on for the Jersey Boys. Uh, ah, yeah, reunion show, whatever. Nice. Great fun. Um, did not have anything to drink that night, so I, I did not sleep through my alarm. <laughs> Got up at four a.m. and uh, saw some very interesting faces. People I haven't seen in over four years. I theorized they were dead in a ditch somewhere, wrapped around a bottle of hard tack. Turns out, right. nope, they're married and managing a theater. Well. Before lockdown, of course, and very much alive. It's it's crazy, crazy to suddenly be confronted wow. with people that the last time you spoke to them, you were sending them money so they could bribe the cops and get out of jail that night. <laughs> Literally. For reals. For reals. Yeah. Like, Jabs, you need to wire me a thousand rand <laughs> immediately, please. I need to draw it right now. Otherwise, I'm going to, going to spend the night in, in a prison cell. Right. Oh, nice. The delights nice. of my friends. Hey, hey. Can you can you blame me for cutting ties with this particular dirtbag? <laughs> no, no, no. How are you doing, Chief? Uh, listen, man, I've got a bone to pick with you. Oh, hit it already. You you owe me uh, about an hour forty-five. Okay, do explain. So I was just on Letterboxd having a look, uh, putting some reviews in, and it says uh, your friends have watched, and it gives you a little rundown. Oh, look, S. Jobs has watched Passengers. He gave it four stars. Indeed. And this is the Jennifer Lawrence, uh, Christopher Pratt uh, movie from a few years ago, sci-fi thing. I knew nothing about it other than critics panned it hard style. Mm-hmm. And I thought, this man, is he's got taste, this man. S-Jobs, we'll, we'll, forget, we'll forget his lethal weapon aside. Other than that, I like what this man has got to say. So if he's telling me Passengers 4 Stars, I'm going to whack that bad boy on and see what happens. Eh-eh. I'm curious, who who in this position has the burden of proof? Do I have to defend my four stars? Or do you have to just kind of say why this movie is a dumpster fire and to avoid it altogether? Well, a little bit of both, I guess. Mm-hmm. Now, I'll tell you what happened. Uh, so the movie starts out, you know, Pratt's obviously on this spaceship and he's woken up out of hypersleep. Hang on, on, Chief, the, uh, I've got to stop you right now. Spoilers. Because, yes, ladies and gentlemen, you've seemed to have stumbled onto a film spoiler review at the moment. Uh, jump <laughs> to the following time code if you want to not be spoilt when it comes to the feature film Passengers. Please skip forward to 9 minutes 36 seconds. 
Thank you. And please nice, continue, nice. Chief. <laughs> so, yeah, Pratt's woken up. In fact, I'd have probably didn't need to mention that because I'm not sure it's that relevant. Uh, but, yeah, he's woken up from his hypersleep and then he spends a load of time just milling about, realises he can't go back to sleep. And then he makes that fateful decision to awaken another passenger. There's 5,000 passengers on this ship. And he kind of plays out what happens from there on. Now... I'll tell you where it went downhill for me, and that is, A, well, from the beginning, I just found it very boring from start to finish, very sleep-inducing, and I had, about the halfway point, in my head, I had theory-crafted what was going to happen and what I wanted to happen, and it sounds like a much better movie. I thought, this was honestly what I thought was going to happen, and I was getting ready for it, I thought, she would dig into his files because he's been looking at her background before he woke her up so he knows her air quotes she was going to dig into his background and turn out that he's actually a serial killer and then it turns into the second half of the movie turns into like a like a slasher a hunt movie where she's she's hiding in cupboards and he's he's out for and he's like a psychomaniac and mm, i so thought the, that, and the she, shining yeah and she yeah yeah and she yeah. ends up killing him and I thought that was amazing, you know, in my head. I was like, oh, this is the movie, this, this is what's going to happen. And yeah, then, Chief, as that's just The Shining in space. Why would you want to watch The Shining again in space? As the minutes so. crawled by, I realised that wasn't happening. And this is just a film about nothing, really. Okay, okay. Fair enough. Look, Chief, I, what I'm learning more and more is that context is everything. Okay. For instance, when I saw Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and Joker basically back-to-back at the cinema, in a oh. cool retro cinema here in Townsville, Australia, yeah. where I had basically the entire cinema to myself and the sound was absolutely fucking awesome. Yep. <laughs> and the visuals were great. I Those were five-star films. I saw them again. The second time I saw them was on the seat back of an aircraft. And yep. then there were three-star films. Were you okay. tired when you watched Passengers? And your mind was wandering and you were like making up your own more exciting version in your head i i don't know i i i've probably got a pre-programmed thing where if a movie is a sci-fi movie i am expecting action or some kind of thriller or adventure and this does not tick any of those boxes it's a drama in space effectively Um, well yes and no the stakes are life and death and happiness and fulfillment you know like the 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 drama between these two is is pretty severe they go from like being absolutely smitten with one another to absolute like icy cold hatred that moment is is pretty gripping stuff and you kind of it's the ticking clock that's hanging over your head this whole time that yes she's going to find out that he has doomed her but then it becomes yeah. a double bind because they would have all perished had it not been for both of their intervention in saving the ship. So yeah. what an interesting like moral, as I say, double bind to kind of have to go back on, on your preconceptions of a person. Yeah, possibly. I wasn't convinced by the performances. And this is a stereotypical pigeonholed view for me of certain actors, but... I, did, I wasn't convinced by Chris Pratt in a, in a highly intellectual engineering role. <laughs> Didn't buy that at all. I don't know. Lawrence Fishburne's the best thing in this movie. He's great. Oh, yeah, necessary. 
I mean, yeah. I did not see that coming. Come on, Chief. Did you no. see that coming? No, no. That, that okay. was that was one of the best okay. bits in the movie. Yeah, yeah. I give. It, I think I give it two stars. Uh, thank goodness it wasn't as a pr- as predictable and as by the numbers as you made it sound like. No, no. It did did hold some punch. Um, and one other thing, like your opening volley was. Critics absolutely panned passengers. Well, am I wrong there? Or not? Maybe I'm wrong. I'm just maybe I'm assuming. Buddy, all I have to say is like when it comes to film critics and any critic for that matter, I would sooner cross the street than to walk uh, <laughs> alongside one of them. They are yeah. the worst scumbags. Yeah, they've got an agenda to have absolutely no actual ability, but somehow be elevated to a position where your opinion matters more than someone else's. I know we pass a lot of opinions here on Talking Joe, but it's not our job. No one's paying us to do this. No one's placed us on this pedestal. We're just a bunch of guys talking. Critics, on the other hand, scumbags, head them all. (laughs) Hopefully not uh, the two main critics, your two favorite critics of Chief and Ben on the Out of Timers. (laughs) Once again, bro, just guys talking about things they like. No, no, no. No No one's kind of put you in this position. No, absolutely not. You're not... Critics in the same sense that, I don't know, I, I can't even name a critic that come, comes to mind. But Listen, like, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you who I do like, Mark Commode. I'm not sure yes, if you're familiar Mark with Commode's English Mark Commode. Yeah. Nice fella, but if you ever took pot shots at something that I hold near and dear. Look, <laughs> case in point, critics loved The Last Jedi. I think I rest my case. Yeah, that I think is. I rest my case. Yeah, you do. That, all right, uh, where's the gavel? Case closed. Listen, um, uh, I'm hungry and, well, I shouldn't be hungry. Yeah, there you go, baby. Listen, it's time for the snack police. Tedder chips, crisps, biscuits and candy, washing them down with a whiskey or a brandy, chewy sweets, cookies, built around jerky, snacks running fear because we got them at our mercy. We're snackers, attackers, bad mother truckers and we're eating all the crackers, munchers, crunchers, knock out snacks like we're heavyweight punchers. Snack police are in there. His out. Mm. I've just realised now. When I there's there's a few things you might be able to help me out here. This is coming off track a little bit. When I edit some of the podcasts I do, most notably Clone Wars Dispatch, cheap plug for the Out of Timers Network. Uh, I, I noticed that Ben does a lot of he does a few ums, but he also does a lot of lip smacking that I have to that I have to edit out and I can see it as I'm on as I've got the wave form up there the audio track I can see coming up oh that's a lip smack or oh, that's an um they've got very distinctive waveforms yeah they're quite but sharp I, aren't they what I have noticed is more and more on every podcast I do I say listen loads on a podcast and i think i've just said it about four times already i think ben used to call you out on it ben used to be like i'm listening chief oh um, did he yeah okay. he he does he did it was okay. a great comeback, I'd say. But uh, is there any, is there anything because you are, you obviously do the main work here and edit this show? Is there anything <laughs> you specifically you know take out ums ahs etc.? Gosh, uh, yeah, man, I, I I get rid of at least five minutes of content every podcast <laughs> worth of ums. Listen, kind of just general brain farts when we kind of ramble and trail off into nothing. Yeah, cool. it's cool. it's. It's very satisfying work, I'm not going to lie, particularly yeah, for my yeah. OCD. I'm like, I'm not going to subject <laughs> anyone to our mistakes. We're going to be the most <laughs> flawless radio personalities you've ever heard. <laughs> Fact. Now, now, I was going to say, now listen. I'm saying it. Now listen. Um, I'm listening, I, Chief. 
prior to coming on i messaged you and i said i'm just having a quick bite of lunch and i had it again i think this is three weeks running i've had the pea and spinach and quinoa burgers with a, a homemade time of day chief yeah homemade mayonnaise ketchup and caper sauce and hot damn were they good but uh now it is time for some actual proper snacks and what have you got on the table for us this week well, you've kind of got me on the alternative crisp uh, tack. So I've got Cobb's Natural Colors and Flavors Popped Chips. Yep. They are gluten-free, which means I have no idea what they're made out of. I guess uh, potato, rice, and corn. Yeah, it says it on the oh, packet. Delight. Well, here we go. <laughs> uh, 110 grams net, which pretty much puts it in uh, potato chip category, large bag. Yep. Yummy yum. And just just before, and the listeners will see this on the socials if I eventually ever post them up. Normally they come out the day before the next episode. But um, <laughs> you actually said cobs at the start. I thought you said carbs uh, because it's obviously a pack, but actually it's cobs, C O B S. Well, wouldn't that be funny to call it carbs and it's <laughs> gluten free? <laughs> All right, time for a popped chip with the sour cream and chia flavoring. Mm, they're kind of flattened down, just basically air chips. You know, you, I'm sure they, you can conjure them to mind. They're like v- available in a variety of, of shapes and sizes. These ones are just like flat little pancakes. Oh, that is a lot crisper. In fact, it's so crisp that it's deafening my headset, so I can't even hear. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. Thumbs up. Made in Australia. I, I'll tell you what, you've right. not had. Outside of some kind of dried meat, you've not had a, a thumbs up for a snack for a long time, so we'll take this. Indeed we shall. That's right up there with Kit Kat. <laughs> okay, uh, I have got a bag of Stobby Flips. Yep, you okay. heard right. Stobby I'll Flips. Yours. Stobby Flips. Uh, this is made is by... Spoonerism. Fobby Slips. Slobby Vita, Chips. V- Vita Minka make these. Um... Uh, I can't read most of the writing on the front because it's it's Scandinavian. So kikurki with peanuts. Is that a made up word? Um, Are they trying yeah. to be cool? Forty grams. They look like in the UK what we'd call watsits. In America you'd call Cheetos. I don't know what you'd call these in your neck of the woods. Uh, knickknacks once again. Or just like knacks. Okay. They're small though. They're quite small. They're oh yeah, peanutty. Oh yeah, love it's a crunch peanuts. off. Here we go. Um, but the only downside with these is, oh, it's a good. It's a forty gram. It's a well filled. It's a good bag. The only, the only downside is, is that it kind of sticks to your teeth. Oh, uh, you know what I mean? Yeah, man. Gone, I can't hear you over the crunching, man. <laughs> You're gonna have to speak it's gone up. all. It's gone all. It's gone all pappy. And kind of oh. mushy, and it's all now. I've got to use my finger and my tongue. And there's a screwdriver down here. I'm going to use in a minute to wedge that <laughs> Jeez, out. Ease, brother. Okay. Oh. Well, I'm afraid you're uh, slightly behind me on that chase. Mine is uh, <laughs> papyless. <laughs> well, I, I'm giving it a thumbs up though because oh. that's very enjoyable. Lovely, mm. lovely. Uh, I'm not done about you, but I'm ready to talk about some comics. Hell's yeah, baby. Okay, comic talk. <sighs> it's comic talk. It's comic talk, baby. Chief and Steve discussing like crazy. Larry Harmer riding these bad boys, making sense of the wackiest toys. 
Listen as we talk about story arcs, making noise louder than junkyard box, talking about character motivations and all the various G.I. Joe fun locations. Right, so let's have a look at the covers. We're doing 195 and 196 this week of Real American Hero from IDW Publishing, and this is from October, November 2013. So cover for 195, looks like we've got a... Te- well, not looks like, we have got a Terradrome with a nice guard with his binox on the top and there's some Joes underneath about to wage an assault. Mortified by the miscolouring of Shockwave. Oh, man. What an insult. It looks like Beachhead a little bit, doesn't he? <laughs> Beachhead with a cap. Oh, dear. <laughs> that is how he will forever go down in history, I think, until he has some defining characteristics. I mean, there's talk on his file card about him being a choir tenor, but right. that doesn't really find its way into any kind of conversation in any comic okay. books. Interesting. That's on the heart wood. Another thing that's interesting is um, the very nondescript god that uh, Cobra, well, we're led to believe it's Cobra because it is a Cobra pterodrome replete with Cobra sigils everywhere. Yep. Uh, what kind of troop is that? Is that a viper? I think it might be an alley viper with his with his lid up. Hey, good call. Alley vipers... But, but incorrectly coloured. Yeah, I mean... T- t- Alley Vibers at this stage have been all colours of the rainbow, so... Right, okay, okay. I think I only know the the first, the orange and blue one. Mm. A strange urban camo, anyway. It's supposed to be misleading, I can only assume, because this pterodrome is not manned by, at least not uniform-wearing Cobra personnel at all. No. Yeah. And then in Palmer's sketch, he's actually... It's actually a bit more cut and dry that it's not a Cobra. It's like a cap-wearing, balaclavered baddie. Mm. Yep, yep. 196, we have the Mean Dog and a whole host of Joes. Yeah, thoughts, Chief? I quite like this one. Yeah, man. I quite like this one. I think it's good. I think a nice action scene. Um, It's crammed a lot of Joes in there. Yeah, it's going down. What do you think of muzzle flashes being handled in that way? It's kind of not the full burst of colour that you see typically. It's kind of a very hollow flash. Uh, I think perhaps did he employ this maybe on the cover so as not to obscure too much of the art? Yeah, but in times gone by, you'd see just that that enormous rainbow of like yeah. orange, red, and white, and that would just be as a complete visual obscuration of the image. Like this is like so much more transparent. We yes. we assume the weapons are discharging, but we've just got these kind of like uh, I suppose a ripple outwards of 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 flash. Yeah. Yep. Leaving the barrels very clear. I don't know. It doesn't yeah. convey as much power to me. No, I don't think so. Uh, uh, mm. Yeah, I don't know. What's Lightfoot doing on the front there? He's about to fire some grappling <laughs> hook, is he? <laughs> oh, diagnostic, where are you to stand up for your boy? Lightfoot, he, his mind detection equipment has that kind of claw in the front. I don't yeah. know if it is actually meant to... Hey, maybe it does actually practically telescope out and is able to manipulate things at a distance. Maybe, right. maybe. Maybe it is a grapple yeah. cook. Maybe you're onto something there, Chief. But I always yeah. assumed it was a sensor of some kind. Like, how the hell are they stuck there, man? They're like, it's like flypaper. They're literally like like stuck <laughs> on the grill of the mean dog. I'm saying, I'm saying they got like uh, uh, straps going around their waist to couplings on the front of the mean dog. Hey, nice. You picked up on that detail. It... Yeah, looks like straps. Yeah, I think hit and hit and run. I can definitely see a strap going over his shoulder, over his right shoulder. What do they call that? Flag poling. Did you ever Is watch Death? 
Death Proof by uh, Quentin Tarantino. I have seen it, yes, yeah. Can't remember it. I mean, riding the bonnets of a vehicle like that, it's like, that's that's suicide, man. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> it's just hardcore. More like suicide. So the sketch cover by Larry Harmer. Actually, no, he has been inked on that one. It says sketch by Larry Harmer, art by Brian Shearer. So that's why it looks more finished, because it has been inked and there's been a couple of additional bits of dialogue there. Yo-Jo and Trouble in Sierra Gordo. Take a look at Charbroil, man. What is going on? Can't really see. I've only got the inside cover on the sketch one. Well, then I'll put you out of your misery. <laughs> the reference they used must have been the Rise of Cobra redesign of Charbroil. Okay. And not the classic 1988 ARAR version. Right. Yeah. Okay. It's got a distinctly different look to him and his flamethrower. So Gallant fixed that on the on the actual cover, though. I guess. Good man, Gallant. Fantastic. And I've also got a small insert here for a... Retailer exclusive cover, VA Comic-Con, Painted Visions, Greater Atlantic Comic-Cons, with Baroness holding a smoking gun. Have you got that one or not? I have the small insert and okay. looks sexy as all hell, but from a distance. Yeah. Yeah, really I think I'd rather it. have a comic book cover that pertains to yeah. the issue, but yeah. it's it looks beautiful. If we want to discuss the insides of these issues, we probably need a catch-up. So, last time on A Real American Hero... In Sierra Gordo, former G.I. Joe member Robert Graves, a.k.a. Grunt, is taken prisoner by insurgent rebels, along with the nation's president, the American ambassador, and a marine. G.I. Joe is given the go-ahead on a rescue mission. Operation. So they send in just about everyone they can. Meanwhile, in Oliastan, Jinx and Peopini defeat a mysterious assailant, only to discover a terrible secret. Cobra is working with the Blue Ninja clan to upgrade their battle android troopers. You almost lost it, but you put that train right back on the rail. I, I read the word mission when it actually says operation, but anyway. Ah, that's all good, man. We won't tell anyone. Chief, I shared some pictures of mainframe with you. Could you, you dig those out? Yes, yes, I'll get them up the, on my The long-standing right mystery is, has finally been solved. What Gallant is drawing when it comes to mainframe yep. is not mainframe. It's Data frame. Oh, what? Who's data frame? <laughs> who, the, who indeed? It seems Hasbro must have lost the rights to the word mainframe, so they renamed mainframe data frame in his 25th anniversary version. And that version not only has the crazy Rodimus angled helmet, yes, but has that weird like three stars over three bars kind of ah, yes. chest design. Which is weird, man. Why Why did they go with the modern reinterpretation of data frame? And there he is on page one, panel one. There he is, yeah. S-Job so 7 dons the Columbo cap, solves the mystery. <laughs> well, I'm embarrassed that it took me this long to twig. That Why are they sticking so slavishly to this design of mainframe with like three weird stars on his pocket? Yeah, and yeah. Th- there you go. For some reason, I guess the body that they used for that 25th anniversary version had three stars for some reason. I hate to think that it's because of mainframe. Like, I, I hope it was from someone else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But uh, oh, who knows? I, I couldn't be asked to find out, to be honest. Yeah. Oh, good stuff, though. Good stuff. Um, that's Cheers. why you're on the show, to pull up mm-hmm. these little nuggets of details. Um, This is two issues where... I'm not saying not much happens, but it is a fairly straightforward, linear goings-on and it's just mainly action and 
I don't want to say intrigue, but just it's just mainly an action movie, isn't it, really? With the distinction that the Joes are getting their asses handed to them at every turn. It's yes. like every single team in that initial wave has been defeated. So it felt very much like the... What's the battle where all the Joes die in... Um, where was that? Benzene. Yeah. Where they had different... They had the recon team. They had mm-hmm. the advanced recon team. They had you know, all these different squads. It feels very much like that. And also the, the invasion of Cobra Island back in the, the mid to late issue, 70 issues. It definitely feels like that. And I'm on board with all that. I love all that stuff, breaking down into individual units. That's brilliant. I didn't necessarily like the way it happened. And we discussed that on the last episode where Grunt has been taken hostage. So they mobilized the whole, it seems like the whole of G.I. Joe just to save Grunt. But that being aside, we talked about that last issue. Here, I like the setup, the Joes getting captured. Now, my, my, the point I wanted to say was, does it feel a little bit like the Joes are coming off as amateurs or they've been taken by surprise? Or is this part of the plan to get captured? How do you feel about that sort of stuff? Uh, look, I mean, without peeking into the next few issues, it felt like the Joes had underestimated their enemy. They thought right, they were okay. flying into a to resolve a, a hostage situation, but it seems like there is more enemy infrastructure in play than they had anticipated. I mean, the second the, the sky falls with Cobra air power, then you know. It's like, this yeah. is... G.I. Joe did not anticipate this at all. So it, yeah. is, it is realistic for them to be defeated. Uh, it's, it's incredible that it's a kind of a bloodless defeat. You know... We, a dogfight happening high over the skies and all the planes getting shot down. The fact that, like, not only were all the pilots, all the pilots ejected safely, but were all then rounded up without coming to any kind of harm. The fact that, like, the guys get their tomahawks shot out from under them and they all kind of make it unscathed. <laughs> yeah. it's, it strains belief a little bit that everyone's still in good health, not even injured. And again, I can't speak to the the coming up issues because i can't remember them but this definitely felt to me like that benzene war that went down in that i was anticipating several joes to get killed off in these issues or potentially the next couple of issues coming up it felt like larry was using Mm. using this as the same kind of storyline-esque as what he did then to to kill off a few joes so i'll wait to see if that happens oh man just to just kind of link this to the the once vibrant toy line that it supported. Larry got the green light to cull the Joes because there were certain characters that weren't getting future versions. Oh, right. Okay. So it was like, cool. I, I, I don't want to run a morally bankrupt book where there are no consequences to the conflict. So he killed off toys that were basically dead end in the toy line themselves, like Battle yeah. Force 2000. They were not going to come back in any way, shape, or form. So he was like, cool, I'm going to wipe them all out rather unceremoniously in one massive explosion, say for Dodger. Nowadays, if he was to suddenly do a cull, he'd be killing off his darlings. I mean, like, look at this squad. We've got Gung Ho, Lady J, Flint, Dial Tone, Mutton Junkyard, Roadblock, all these heavy hitters, beloved characters you know that they're not going to get <laughs> scratched. And even if they do get a, a bullet wound through their face, <laughs> yeah. they're going to be right as rain two issues later. Yeah, Falcon. Oh, I've got a Larry Harmerism for you on page five. Larry Harmerism, <laughs> let's do it. Play that jingle. <laughs> yes, sir. I'm hearing the same things over and over again. It's like we're trapped 
incarcerated, locked down in a bind, stuck in a prism. Hey, what you talking about, Chief? It's just a Larry Harmerism. So, this is something that I think you you typically resolve in the mission briefing as to how the squad moves when it's on the ground. Like okay, you yes. don't leave your marching assignments when you're actually boots on the ground. No. <laughs> No. Flint is giving them out, and it's it's very detailed, obviously, and it's all happening in real time. It's like, roadblock, you rock and roll, and torpedo or drag. Zap, and gung-ho, right flank, security. Lady J, walking slack, on point. Mutt and junkyard, shockwave on the left flank, security. It's like, okay, buddy, yeah. just make sure everyone in the jungle heard that. <laughs> yeah, this was, this was uh, he, he did it quite a lot in the special some of the special missions episode, uh, issues, didn't he? Yeah. True, true, true. I quite like it. But if you just go one page forward, one thing I'm going to pick up here that I picked up on is, look at the, the kind of second panel. You've got Ace and Wild Bill in the cockpit. And I was looking, I was thinking, this doesn't look like, you know, S.L. Gallant standard art. And I had a flick back and that's because it is S.L. Gallant on art, but the inks are actually by Phyllis Novin who I believe stepped in just for one issue. And again, I don't know if it was a bit of a rush job, but the finished art in this issue definitely isn't as good as other S.L. Gallant issues. I don't know if I'm nitpicking, but kind of the faces on Ace and Wild Bill look a little bit kind of muddy. Could it possibly be because it's not Ace at all? <sighs> oh, is it not? Who is it? Dun, dun, dun. Payload, baby. <laughs> okay. He's even wearing his astronaut outfit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so okay a detail that isn't fleshed out in the artwork is that the patch on his left bicep would have the defiant in that triangle okay oh and the <laughs> uh, red and also, triangle I mean, yeah 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 payload's payload's got the stash and obviously ace i think he likes a good clean shave uh, i didn't even see that see that's the thing i didn't even see that tash i just saw that as shadow on an upper lip like the character was grimacing. Jeez, no wonder you have no love for this artwork, man. You're just like, <laughs> but now, now you've pointed it out. Now I see the tash. But if I if I close my eyes a little bit, I still see a bit of a downturned uh, grimace rather than a tash. I don't know. But Damn, man, this art is terrible. <laughs> Chief is mistaking tashes for grimaces. Come on, Galant, up your game, baby. Listen, the art is good. All I'm saying is the inks aren't as good as uh, Brian Shearer or Gary Erskine, something like that. So, Right on. But, yeah, like you said, it's kind of a bloodless taking of hostages. There, and there's loads of different groups of hostages scattered around. They didn't want to put them all together in one place. And mm. that kind of led me to believe that something is going to go down in future issues where, you know, they want individual breakouts or escape attempts, things like that. So we'll see what happens. <laughs> Yeah, big time. How difficult is is it to escape? I'm I'm talking specifically about Stalker's team. So they're all kind of strung up, their arms above their heads, on these hooks. But the hooks are open-ended. Can't they just slip the rope up <laughs> over those hooks? Yeah, yeah they could. <laughs> Hilarious. Page six on uh, uh, on issue one nine five has, to my mind, the only uh, reference to shipwreck being Hispanic. Duke, Duke ah, says he that says he's fluent in. Well. I didn't know, but is he Spanish then? Is it is he Hispanic? Sorry, one would be led to believe so. Uh, Based his on file what? name is Hector X Delgado. Okay, right, fine. Yeah, because he's fluent in Spanish. They say, don't he? I mean, that wouldn't be unusual for non-Hispanic operatives to be fluent in Spanish. I'm sure lots of sure, particularly. I mean, he he, he hails from San Diego and right. massive Spanish uh, or Hispanic community there. But with a name like Hector Delgado. It's kind of been a long yeah. time coming yeah. that they acknowledge that, yes, Shipwreck 
He ain't a white guy. Yeah, he's cool. Hispanic. Cool. He, that's not a deep tan. He's got a little bit of uh, a little bit of coffee in his in his milk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that. That's good. They, what Larry does here is he tries to give a lot of Joes and other characters a lot of screen time, if you will. So even mm. Lola, uh, they cut to her, which is uh, Grunt's wife, and you know there's reporters at her door, and she gets a whole page of people prying, and then she punches out one of these slime ball reporters, which is quite cool. It reminded me of that scene from Die Hard 2 where um, Holly, uh, John McClane's wife, zaps him with the taser on the airplane. <laughs> oh, no, she actually punches him in the first one as well, doesn't she? Yeah, that's why, she that's does, why he's got a restraining order against her. Yeah, yeah, quality. Love Fantastic. that. Fantastic. Lots of other characters, you know, Pell, Peony and, and Jinx obviously get a bit of action as well. I like the way that Larry Hammer has spread these tiny little subplots of even minor things in amongst the action to help break it up a little bit. Chief, who the hell is Lola? I know she's Grant's girl. I know they had a kid, but like her introduction, she was just a helicopter mechanic yes. studying at Georgia Tech where Grunt was enrolled. Yes. They had a love affair. And then, you know, you flash forward to issue 78 and she's helping Grunt help Roadblock, Spring Hawk and General Hollingsworth. She's toting an M60. I buy that. Maybe, you know, she had weapons qualification on an M60 and was part of Air Cavalry. Yes. But we flash forward to these issues, and she's like super spy deluxe. Like, has this all <laughs> happened between the pages? Or have has there been another Lola appearance to date where she is traveling the world with multiple passports, money, and guns? <laughs> I don't know. That's quite, I want to see that four-issue miniseries spin-off. Let's fill in the blanks. Buddy, her introduction, man, she's a belter. That was a... I mean... She's got the yeah. She's got Hot the case, stuff. the attaché case with, like you said, the handgun and the passports and the cash. Yeah, yeah. She's. I, I guess she is now. What she's. We're led to believe she's going to jump on a plane and get herself out to Sierra Gordo as well. Stand by your man. Oh, chief. We got a Commonwealth colloquialism possibly already. Um, oh, do on. you know the term belter? Uh, yes, I do. Yes, that's a oh, belter. Damn, so in the UK, moving we'd on, say, <laughs> we'd say that's a belter, meaning that's something really good. Oh, okay. No, well, we would uh, use it in reference to, like, a hot chick. <laughs> okay, no. It, it, well, yeah, it's two different ones then, yeah. Lola's Belter. opening splash page, which I hopefully will reproduce for the socials. Uh, Belter. Incredible. Issue 56, everybody. Amazing. Yep. <laughs> hot mama. I, I do want to uh, just mention briefly what's happening with Jinx and Pale Peony, because they were in Oliastan, and they've obviously uncovered the link between cobra and the blue ninjas and they encounter more of these guys who are wearing these funky high-heeled shoes <laughs> now is that not a giveaway for the blue ninjas or the bats or whatever the hell they are I think or whatever the hell they are at this point yeah totally very bad for undercover work if you've got to have those clod hoppers i mean aren't those kind of the kind of shoes that people who have perhaps one leg shorter than the other yeah just kind of even out their their gait yeah, except they got them on both feet. <laughs> I know, right? What the Maybe hell? they got short legs by two short legs. Um, I, I guess know. so. But those guys as well, are we led to believe that these are the same entities or constructs that are holding all of the guys prisoner in Sierra Gordo? Because I think Grunt mentions these guys aren't scratching, they're all very uniform, they aren't doing anything, he doesn't say it, but quote-unquote human. So are these mm. the same... Breed? I think the strings the strings are being drawn together that these aren't strictly speaking blue ninjas. 
this is what Cobra has been developing in conjunction with the Blue Ninjas, which is a, a bombshell that we get dropped very unceremoniously by Cobra Commander. You know, we've had yeah. absolutely no baiting to this point that uh, this was happening, that he had forged an alliance with the Blue Ninjas, and it comes completely out of left field and yep. happens on basically one page. And on then the last page of the issue, yeah. Exactles. Uh, yeah, Chief, do, do you feel like that was a bit of a cheat? Like we should have gotten at least some kind of idea of this alliance being forged? I mean, the last thing we knew, Cobra Commander had finally gotten his retribution for Billy's death and destroyed BN001 completely. No, I, I'm on board with this. I don't mind it at all. I say completely, but we also established that that BN001 is essentially unkillable because they have some kind of hive mind. Yes. And I think mm. I think Cobra's, you know, he even says it was galling to form an alliance with the nefarious cyborgs. And it seems like his overall plan is to use this as a distraction to ultimately invade the pit. Which he theorises is now staffed by a skeleton crew. And yes. that, I say... Exactly how many personnel are there in G.I. Joe? I'm not too keen on support staff in the pit. Yes. I like the idea of the, the, the USS flag being run by a bunch of Navy guys. But the pit itself, that's G.I. Joe's top secret headquarters. That said, there are like over 400 card-carrying members of the G.I. Joe team. Yeah. <laughs> like, even if 100 of them are in play at the moment, that doesn't leave you with a skeleton crew at the pit. Unless everyone's on shore leave. Yeah, yeah, true. True. And how, how was he counting? Do your math, Cobra Commander. Do your math, buddy. You know, did, did he have an abacus as he was leaving, seeing him leaving the pit? And he's one, there goes two, there's three. And also, when was it established that he knew exactly where the pit was? Now, I know they've done several assaults in Utah and have been hoodwinked and, you know, led to believe, oh, that wasn't the pit because I think Mindbender was the last one to do it. He took a squadron down there, didn't he? But... I thought they were then under the impression that the pit is not in Utah, but we're now saying that they knew it was all along, or what? I don't really understand that. Issue 130, my very yeah. first issue of G.I. Joe Burger Real... Uh, G.I. Joe Burger... <laughs> G.I. Joe Real American Hero. Uh, yes. That's uh, an Andrew Wildman, I think. And, it is, yes. And uh, Cobra definitively know exactly where the pit is on the map in that right. issue. Okay. Because they destroy right. the, the huts on top. They find their way down into the the passageway that um obviously oh, yeah, Spurs they do. sits yes. on top of and they 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 put bats into the that passageway that's right yes so i think they do know where it is but gi joe has just been brazen enough to not move i guess they they feel like unless cobra gets hold of the what is it the the pulse laser yeah. <laughs> system <laughs> and do a sort of a bombardment from orbit um yep. that they're pretty safe in there fortress. and the krypton bomb as well <laughs> the um, krypton bomb yes uh now the, what i was going to say was i think cobra commander's ultimate plan is to use these blue ninjas to distraction get into the pit and then he'll look to eliminate the blue ninjas after that kind of using them up and then trying to eliminate them so i don't i don't think he's planning on a long-standing relationship with them uh, how'd you, I just Boy, howdy, Chief. You should be writing G.I. Joe. <laughs> That's a good theory, man. <laughs> just briefly, how do you, did it make you laugh the last bit where uh, Mindbender says, You're brilliant, Commander. Tell me something I don't know, Mindbender. <laughs> <laughs> Classic cover Commander, man. That's it. Yeah, I don't think oh, Mindbender geez. would say that, though, would he? Would he say, You're brilliant? He probably would because he's a bit toady. Toady ish, isn't Absolutely. he? Absolutely. Oh, yes, yeah. you're brilliant, Cobra Commander. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. revel in your <laughs> reflected glory. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, where yeah. did S-Jobs go? When did Mindbender get on the podcast? <laughs> 
so so and and again that's the end of this the first issue and the next one kind of just picks up where we left along more joes making their way to sierra gordo more joes getting captured more vehicles getting blown up really you know the last time shockwave was in sierra gordo he was a prisoner too (laughs) it's his lot in life it's Indeed. He's made to suffer. Yeah. <laughs> oh, jeez. My boy, my boy, my boy. <laughs> cool panels of the Terrodrome. I know you're a little bit down in the art, but... Uh, no, no, I this do... is now picking up because now we've got um, Brian Shearer back on Inks. Wonderful. So I see, I see this art as being superior to the previous issue. The fidelity in which the Terrodrome is dealt with is so high, even down to the scaling of it, because a Terrodrome, you kind of want to upscale it because... You know, it's a it's a substantial toy, but it's also perhaps too small for what it is to yeah. be a base, to have a vast internal space. But what Gallant has done is presented a pterodrome inaccurate toy scale. <laughs> you know, the the size of the people relative to the pterodrome is correct. Yeah, which is a marvelous achievement. Yeah, uh, once again, adds fuel to the fire that I think he's in possession of a vast array of toys, and he absolutely loves presenting them on the page yeah even yeah. down to like the prisoner section which has a sticker that says caution force field <laughs> i'm talking about page eight if you got it there chief let me have a look as as shockwave is being marched past oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Force, field, caution, Ooh, force, field. force field don't put your fingers on those bars oh but they are i guess it's <laughs> been sitting in the jungle for a long time maybe not all the systems work but what is fun and this is something that terror toy cannot do in order to bring the hostages from the bottom to the top they use the the launch silo which is genius the terror famously has no way of getting from the bottom level to the top level right. so using the the silo the launch silo that would typically be used to launch a fire bat in yeah. that instance perfect love it very dramatic of course you've got those like pie slices unsheath to reveal whoever's coming up yeah quality quality <laughs> does any of that make sense to chief yeah, yeah no, oh, it does it does that's good that's, no, that's that's good because that's not something i would have gone through my brain cells as i was reading that but now as you're saying it it kind of makes sense and it is it's, it's a really nice touch yeah man i caught an error on the previous issue okay go on it's a it's a lettering error more than anything else it seems uh on page, I've got page 19 in my dig. Okay. It opens with Bravo Team, and there's a conversation between Leatherneck and Beachhead, but it's Stalker who's speaking as Leatherneck in that top panel. Uh, okay. Aldea. Oh, yeah, yeah, I see it now, yeah. Anyway, yeah. once again, picker of nits. Yeah. I've got I've to gotta raise it if I see it. I see it, you got it. Downtown, for some reason, is the communications officer when everybody knows that Lifeline is the guy who carries the communications equipment. Lifeline? Does he? Well, he came with a pretty detailed, very impressive communications backpack on the toy. All right. So I would just assume, you know, in this situation when he's a a non-combatant, that he would be making himself a little bit more useful on the radio. I don't know. Maybe yeah. that's just me. But downtown... Is he there? Is he there, Lifeline? I can't see him. Yeah, he's part of that team, okay. uh, though not illustrated in any of those panels. Okay, all right, fine. Gallant did not want the uh, the ambiguity of having a non-com just running around while the bullets are flying. <laughs> it's like, what are you going to do with him? <laughs> nice, nice. Who's the guy that Pale Peony and Jinx, we don't know yet, do they? they they've come through. They've escaped Dolistan. Pale Peony's in bad shape because she has taken a round from one of these, whatever they are, these cyborg bat things, whatever they were when mm-hmm. they were uh, ex-filling, 
and yeah, she's they're they're met at the airport by someone who just rolls a sleeve up and shows the Arashikage tattoo, the hexagram. But we don't know who that is yet, do we? Just a, a disciple from the one of the local dojos, maybe. Yeah, if it was Storm Shadow, obviously Jinx would have recognised him. So, yeah, I guess Arashikage dude. Like, it kind of makes me wonder why they enlisted these two ladies in the first place. They seem to have people everywhere. <laughs> do your <laughs> yeah. own house cleaning. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. Tell you a good bit I do like is, um, we'll discuss more, obviously, but I like the bit where, right at the end, where the mean dog, the, the whatever craft they're in, I forget what vehicle it was, that what um aircraft. Oh, that's that that plane, the cargo plane. Yeah, well, whatever that cargo know. plane is, it lands and then they're they're met by a V one hundred armored car approaching fast and they just open the bay doors, this mean dog just pulls out and just blasts this thing to oblivion. Outstanding. Yeah, man. That weapon on the mean dog must unleash absolute hell. I mean it's frightening. Multiple barrels <laughs> just burning away and it probably fires Ammunition the size of like 200 mil Coke bottles. Yeah, I feel bad for the guys that are sitting on the front of the mean dog while this is happening. <laughs> Anyone like yeah. under that barrel. I mean, you've got to have some hearing protection. Wildcard seems to have that covered. Yeah. I'd even go so far as to say like clutch and hit and run and light foot to probably have hearing protection. But then there's poor old uh, Freedom. <laughs> has, he, has, he brought, has he brought his bird? Yeah. Jeez. Well, Shipwreck says that Polly's running around somewhere as well. <laughs> oh, man. No, I, I, I don't see freedom, but like, yeah, bloody hell. Spirit, <laughs> spirit Iron Knife. And you'd expect his, his senses to be particularly attuned. Well, he's going to have lost his hearing by the so, end of this mission. Um, something <laughs> I something that may have slipped past me, and, or it may be nothing at all, is the co-pilot and the pilot of this cargo plane have gone to the pit picked up the you know their passengers and their vehicle etc but they're name checked as mr lovett and mr purr p-e-h-r purr would you pronounce that yeah and is that a reference to something it seems like very distinctive names to to put feels like it should be but the first hit that i got when i googled it was reference to Larry Harmer's G.I. Joe comment. Oh right, really? Okay. So if it's if it if it is a reference, it's too obscure for us and too obscure for Google. Okay. It just felt like mm. when I was reading it that it was pertaining to something, but maybe not. Hmm. Reference to this old guy confronting Snake Eyes and yep. Scarlet up in the Sierras. I just flicked to those pages, but yeah, you're right. You're right. Who could it be? Is he one of the guys who you know told the sort of the legend of the werewolf? Yes. The fact that there's a man living up in a log cabin and they say that he's half man, half wolf. Is this a callback to that guy? In which case, once again... Yeah, you mentioned that on the last one. I really love that. I really love that. And is he... I mean, if he's wearing a postman's cap, but the the details aren't fleshed out, it could be a post-service cap, in which case, one of those guys was a USPS worker. Oh, really? So, yeah. So, it could... Oh, S-Job's gone deep. Fan theories, man. Yeah, big yeah. time, big time. But he lets Scarlet and Snake Eyes know that their buddies might be in danger. Yeah. So, any any thought you had of a wide ranging, big story arc not involving Snake Eyes and Scarlet, <laughs> uh, put that in the bin because clearly they're coming back next issue. Dashed to the wind. <laughs> Chief, what do you make of the fact that Ernesto, the leader of the terrorists in the previous issue, and I mean issue one nine four made it quite clear, or was it 193? Anyway, it was in the previous 
episode of Talking Joe, yep. he made it pretty clear that they have no demands. They just yeah. want to make an example of these hostages and they're going to just off them. Yep. Then all of a sudden in page page 22 of, yep. of 195, He's like, oh, we're, we're, we're waiting for our demands to be met. Exactly. Yeah. I've, got, I've, I've got three notes written on my pad. One is uh, <laughs> new, new Inca. One is Cobra Commander, does he know where the pit is? And the third one is, oh, the fourth one. Sorry, there's three. There's one at the very top that says, call S-Jobs out on passengers. But the other <laughs> one relating to this was, they turn on the TV and it says, the US will not negotiate. And I was thinking, but didn't the terrorists say they don't want to negotiate anyway? But no, you're right. They, they've kind of changed their tune. They said, originally, last issue, they said, we've got no demands. We don't want anything. We just want hostages that we're going to kill, effectively. But like you said, now it's kind of done a flip 180. And I don't know, I don't know, maybe Larry, maybe, I don't know, changed his mind or the, the Ernesto last issue was just calling someone's bluff and he did have demands all along. But now he's changed his mind yet again. I don't know. But it all got a little bit convoluted. Oh, so no attempt at a no prize there, Chief? Uh, no. Do you want to have a stab? Uh, it's just a vague one. It just came to me now. You know, as a terrorist wanting to bide your time and make sure that G.I. Joe does fall into this carefully laid trap, I guess you change your tune. Uh, you know, you could always chalk it up to the terrorist being irrational. But, yeah, by changing your story, you are basically delaying any kind of negotiating tactics. Because, yeah, yeah, if they didn't have demands, the question is, why don't they just shoot the the hostages? Because Joe is taking their time. you got to draw things out a little bit. Let's suddenly invent some demands to make it at least look like we have a reason for sparing the hostages for now. I don't know. Whatever. No No prize worthy, maybe. No prize in the post, (laughs) S-Jobs. When I say no prize... You, You say you had three points written down yeah. and one of them didn't even pertain to the issues <laughs> shit chief do not ask me how many points i have on my pad no really normally normally this, is, this is this is a, an outlier normally i've got like you know two full pages of a4 with with points and stuff to talk about but for some reason like i said at the beginning when when i was reading these issues i just read it almost as a, a straightforward kind of action adventure romp with with not too many talking points but obviously we've talked about more than the three i had on my pad but um uh, this this will continue this storyline into next issue and next episode of this pod and i think all the way up to probably 199 it may even spin into issue 200 but yeah i'm interested to see what happens with the captured joes what scarlet and stalker are going to do what lola's going to do and what Pale Peony and Jinx are going to do with this information they've got of the Blue Ninjas bats. So lots of moving parts going on. So looking forward to the next one. Question for the Chief. Hit me. Page 10. Inside the Terradrome. Yep. You got a sort of a middle panel of one of these terrorists hauling uh, Roadblocks M2. And he is struggling, man. <laughs> you well, got it. Well, Roadblocks a tough guy and he works out, doesn't he? Does the steroids. Big time. So these... If these guys are robots, and of course the, you know, the evidence is stacking up that they indeed are, and they don't betray their physical signs of fatigue or uh, body language that would kind of set them apart as individuals, and yet this guy is struggling so much with something that a human being, you know, albeit a very built human being, but a human being nonetheless, can wield quite freely. I mean, that's that that kind of betrays a little bit of uh, more heightened programming. Like he's yeah. he's smart enough to kind of show strain in picking up a heavy thing. 
Yeah, I mean, wow, S-Jub's digging in the weeds here and pulling out nuggets. <laughs> so, yeah, you're right. No, again, you, you spotted something that uh, had, had missed my eye. And you're right, you could, you could, that's, you've given yourself a second no prize there because these uh, beings are so intelligent and their artificial intelligence is so good that he is feigning uh, the strain of lifting up this thing. So that could be one thing. Or it could be that there is a mixture of humans and cyborgs amongst the crew i don't know hey i like it chief no prize for you too we're just <laughs> making it rain the prizes that's it baby. Uh, flick two pages ahead page 12 another yep. question for you chief dog well, it seems like gi joe might be onto something they kind of have nailed down cobra's naming convention oh yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, every, yeah, yeah. it's always an anagram of cobra rabok yeah. is an anagram of cobra it's like guys you should have caught wise to this way back in the Arbco Brothers circus days. <laughs> There's only so many they can get away with, surely. Yeah, exactly. Five uh, letters. Yeah, I think we've had Brocker, Brocker Beach, Arbco Circus, and now Rabco. There's probably another um, one in there as well. Rabok, and then oh, there's Rabok, Roncho Corbra. Cor- Corbra? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, which you always called Roncho Cobra, and I think that's just so precious. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you never picked me up on it, though. No, I wouldn't dare, Chiefy Dog. <laughs> I think that wraps me up on these uh, these issues, man. Yeah, no, good stuff, good stuff. In terms of my feels for these issues and the quality here, I think I've personally been spoiled on the previous kind of, you know, six to eight issues. And I think this is wasn't as enjoyable for me, although still, still a good read. Well, it's all going to come out in the rating, I guess. Yep. We're and kind of cruising, we're chugging along to some some major stuff. We're certainly chugging along to a very major number. Yes. That being the big 200. That's it. What? That's it. What has Talking Joe got up its sleeve, dear listeners? I don't know. Ooh. Maybe something. I don't know. Maybe you can fill me in after this podcast because uh, I'm in the dark. <laughs> but, um... Oh, it's an audio treat. Don't you worry. We'll be covering, what is it next week? Is it 196? Seven, seven and eight. eight seven and eight yes yeah followed immediately just so you guys can whet your appetites yeah. by the first s jobs award show oh yes Woo! we'll cover issue 199 plus a two-year award so we'll cover the calendar years of 2012 and 2013 with our i was going to say regular award show but it's not been regular for some time now but um we're <laughs> reinstating that on talking joe baby so stay tuned for that but right now i want to hear about toys so it is time for toy talk steve talks about toys ho ho steve talks about gi joe he talks about all the toys from the comic book and the animated show steve talks about toys steve talks about toys Steve talks about toys. Steve talks about toys. All right, Chiefy. What do you think I got for you, buddy? Okay, judging by your desire to try and include a vehicle or figure from the issues we've just read, oosh, I am going with the Terradrome. <laughs> Chiefy is one for one, baby. Oh! Absolutely bang on the money. Okay. Please head straight to 3djoes.com and Do check out the sexy spinning images of this incredible playset. Uh it occurs to me that when it comes to the sort of 3D spin technology that 3D Joe's employs, yeah. it's no more useful than on the Terradrome. The Terradrome right. is a circular toy. You're only ever going to see 
like possibly a third of it at any given time yeah. if you're taking a picture of it. So to get a full 360 of it is very, very, very useful. And where does one begin, man? Did you have any brushings with this toy as a child? Never had it as a toy. I know this is this is not to this scale at all, but friend of the show, Peter Seddon, had the Terradrome Creo set. <gasps> okay. Um, I've got the Firebat Creo, which will obviously go in it, but... Uh, yeah, never, never saw this actual pterodrome. Never knew anyone that had it. I'm of the opinion that it possibly did not reach the United Kingdom. Okay, but I'm basing this on absolutely nothing. It just, it's a considerable piece. It's kind of up there with, you know, the flag, the defiant, and then the pterodrome. These are big, big, big boxes. Okay, and you had to have a market to support it. Yeah, and I don't know if territories outside of the United States, though I have heard of. Um, defiance being sold in like belgium okay so it did reach europe but perhaps not the united kingdom i don't know i only got my first brushings with the pterodrome when paul from gi joeberg got one in the mail and man that was a good day (laughs) oh geez where does one begin well you're gonna have to convince me because i'm looking at this and my first assumption my first thought is meh meh okay well look where else is your Cobra Command going to headquarter itself? Fair. G.I. Joe has the flag. It's got the 1983 HQ, which uh, your jammer comes from the Z-Force recolor of. Yes. Did you have that as a toy? It was the 1983 G.I. Joe HQ, which is typically a sort of a grayish silver. No. But the Z-Force is obviously black and green. But it has all the same features, but some cool, like, unique sticker details. Did you not have that? No, 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 no. Where did you get your jammer from, man? No idea. I don't think they sold them separately. Oh, right. Okay. Maybe you traded for him or something. No, I don't know. Maybe I'll Google it. And uh, what's what's it called? Uh, The Z-Force headquarters. Okay. Yeah. But while you're Googling that, I'm just going to pour over the box image of the Terradrome, which is all out mayhem. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. The top level, it just has everyone sort of firing off in abstract directions. Find it. Oh, yeah, wicked. In fact, I'd say the Tele Viper is shooting directly at Dr. Mindbender. Like, you're trying to pop that shiny melon. Well done, Tele Viper. What did he do to offend you? And he's using <laughs> Dusty's weapon, nonetheless. Because we all know Tele Viper don't got no iron. That's it. Man, it's, it's just madness. Madness. The artist really was having a great time. Doing whatever. Serpentor's pointing, buzzers shooting the cannons, the bat is flaming. Yeah. Could you fit a ferret in there? I see a ferret coming out. Could you fit that in there? The ferret is kind of the optimal vehicle to use on the refueling stations, of which there are three. Some say that might be one or two too many. But, you know, the the Terradrome, amongst many other reasons for its existence, can be a fuel base. That's quite cool. Cobra had a lot of small scout craft like the the ferrets and the Trouble Bubble, both of which have fuel ports, which would then interact with those fuel nozzles. So a nice bit of synergy between the toys. Now I've come to another picture on 3D Joe's and it looks like maybe the back of the box art and it's kind of a almost a diagonal view into the into the Terradrome top level. Mm. And this is now tweaking my buzzers a little bit more, so to speak, when I see all the, the kind of control panels on the interior around the inside. Uh, and you can see the nose of the, is that the nose of the Firebat peeking out maybe? But um, mm. yeah, it's starting to look a bit cooler to me. Yeah, I'd say the big failing of the images of 3D Joes is that for some reason their pterodrome isn't stickered. 
obviously they've got a very minty version that they they decided to take pictures of but yeah the sticker details are immaculate that top level is so filled with computer greeblies and paraphernalia it's it's very much like the nerve center of cobra command it's like it's the perfect cobra base until it starts to rain (laughs) (laughs) yeah because it's a complete open top oh man yeah, and it survived remarkably well in the jungles of Sierra Gordo, if we're led to believe that it. it's been there all these years. But they do actually touch on that in the issues. They say that, obviously, it's not been covered in creepers, so someone's been keeping up the maintenance of yes. it. Yes, yeah. But it's got quite a bit of firepower. I mean, it's posited in the comic books initially, so Pencil was selling these as air defense bases to, like, tin pot third world dictatorships. But as we learn in Cold Snap, in Frozen Land that the actual function of the pterodrome is the production of those fear-inducing paranoia waves, which in turn is a callback to issue two, Panic of the North Pole, which debuts this technology, this paranoia technology. Yeah, of course. Issue two, yeah. And it's a very clever way of introducing the very name of the thing. It's called the pterodrome. Why? Because it produces terror <laughs> just through the radio waves i'll call out peter Seddon again i'm pretty sure he called it the terror dome nice <laughs> yeah well easy mistake to make yeah because what is a drome a hippodrome i guess <laughs> the thunder dome oh dear they're interchangeable yeah. aren't they yeah. <laughs> mm. yeah well i mean it does have a dome it's crowning feature the, the, the sort of the jewel in the crown of the pterodrome will always be the dome that retracts and allows the fire bat to ascend through. Yep. It's quite a deliberate mechanism. It's really like quite a severe chunk as the thing slides through. It's not a very graceful um, mechanism. Maybe there are ways of greasing it and getting it to, to move smoothly. But it kind of, yeah, it really shoots back quite suddenly. But then you've got this fire bat pop out the top, which, man, playset and a vehicle in one. And that's just all kinds of cool. Do you want to have yeah, a little gander at uh, Avax Filecard? He's the included pilot with the Firebat. Ah, cool. What's his name? Avac. Avac. And that is an acronym that isn't evident on the Filecard. So for however many years, it was a mystery. But I think, at least on the internet, it's it's regarded as Air Viper Advanced Class. Okay. Which makes you wonder, who is an air viper? What do they look like? Yeah, right. Because this is the advanced class. And isn't the firebat supposed to be an unmanned drone? So you stick an advanced pilot in there to do what exactly? Just put his life on the line? (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. Whatever. It's an exciting kid's toy. Leave it at that. (laughs) Anyways, his file card reads as follows. Piloting a firebat is somewhat akin to strapping yourself onto a cannonball. The cockpit is cramped by any standard and utterly lacking in even the kindest amenities. No engine status display, no weather instruments, no navigation aids, and no ejection seat. (gasps) Yeah, strong. Just the basic flight panel, throttle, pedals, and stick. But after the initial high Gs of vertical takeoff, the Firebat levels out to being the fastest, most responsive single-seat fighter in the Cobra arsenal. AVAC pilots are drawn from the Air Viper pool. They must be capable of complex mental calculations to make up for lack of onboard computers and absolutely fearless to cope with the Firebat's basic unforgiving nature. The aircraft is not what you would call user-friendly. Surprisingly, there is no lack of recruits for the program. All the best fighter jocks want to ride on the pocket rocket. I must say, all the questions that 
you raise about why anyone with an advanced level of training would want to fly something so dangerous yep. are kind of answered in the file card. It's very neat in tying up its own loose ends. Yeah, yeah. And he doesn't need an ejection seat, I guess, because I guess he can just pop the canopy and jump out, can he? <laughs> I don't know. I guess they're just so confident that they will be able to outmaneuver and outperform anything that they're, they're likely to, to fight. It's just that, that Cobra cockiness. It looks like he's wearing a parachute anyway. He is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. damn straight. Sorry, Chief. I, you're absolutely right, man. I guess... I mean, the cartoon, these guys bailed out uh, willy-nilly, no problem. <laughs> uh, regardless of the fact that they had, they had no ejection systems, they were able to, at high jet speed, just tumble out of the, the, the aircraft, which is unrealistic as all hell, but, you know, whatever. Is that a um, is that another colloquialism, willy-nilly? Uh, you understand what I mean. I know what you mean, willy-nilly, but yeah, don't know. Well, then it's common wealth, but it's, you know, it's f- perhaps too common. Too <laughs> common to hoodwink the chief. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I don't, I don't know if our, our North American compatriots or European pals would uh, would know about willy nilly. But yeah, no, this is cool. This is uh, the more I look at it, and as with most stuff that I am not too keen on at first glance, the more I dig around in the dirt and and you know consume stuff about it, the the more it's grown on me. So yeah, this is this is pretty cool actually. Full disclosure, Chief, it's a toy that I vowed I'd never get. Okay, because. I don't need Cobra to have a base in my mind. They are the unseen enemy. They are living underground in the sewers of Springfield, USA, wherever yep. that might be. You know, like the idea of them having this static fortification always seemed silly to me because unless they've got some high-value hostages in their prison cell yep. <laughs> behind the force field, what's stopping G.I. Joe from bombing that to hell? They certainly have the weapons to do it with. And I think Larry feels the same because how many times have we seen Cobra attack the pit tons how many times have we seen gi joe attack a cobra hq yeah and it's always been a kind of an on the ground insertion because they've had a reason for not just wiping off the face of the map yep though it would have been cool to see like once the secret of the terradromes was found out like this cool like seek and destroy mission or like gi joe air power it's like okay we've gotten the green light from frozen land to wipe out all of their terradromes with extreme prejudice yeah let's do it <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> I'd, I'd pay good money to, to read that comic. I'd like to see a return to Fruition Land, to be honest. Mm, a little Arctic setting. Yeah. Bring yeah. back the Snowcat, baby. That's a quality toy I'd love to talk about. But yeah, the, the Terradrome, it's a middling toy for me. It's, it's too big to really excite. I mean, bases... Okay, I guess in my older years, I need a place to display my collection because I'm not playing with it like I would like to. So that's the function of a Terradrome. But... Uh, you know what? Bases, the couch is a base. The kitchen table is a base. Yeah. It's vehicles that really fired my imagination. And the Firebat is a far more interesting toy to me than than its home. Yeah, that's cool. You could simulate some nice dogfights with that and uh, some of the single-seater Joe stuff. Though I've always thought of it was more of a ground attack craft. Okay. It's too fast. Like, it's so fast that it, it would be a pity if it's not an interceptor as well. But it's only got bombs. Right. Like, I, I regard its weaponry as entirely Surface to air, right. But maybe it's got a variable payload and you know, if if we'd had the foresights, maybe they could have been like expansion packs or weapons packs. That would have been cool. Some like get some sidewinders on that bad boy. Because yeah. I don't yeah. imagine they have much fuel. It's literally about like detecting a threat, launching, getting on at six, because nothing in the sky is faster than the fire bat, and then sending a heat seeker and then pff, bailing out. 
I don't know how those things land. They don't really have conventional landing gear. No, no. Kind of land on their tails. Mm, interesting. That's why they need these. Mm. Uh, I guess that's why they're non-man drones normally, or should be. But yeah, hazard pay extra. <laughs> Stick your advanced air viper in there, baby. Boom. All that training up in smoke. Yeah, yeah. More toys next week. I don't know who is in the issues or what vehicles are in the issues. So uh, I'll, I'll make another guess. Uh, when it comes to this segment next week chief one for one i might stop there um no i'll carry on <laughs> but but now we do we've, we've given out a potential two colloquialisms let's dish out some more it's time for obag in the pudding we got a pudding we got a pudding we're gonna over egg that pudding ain't got no criticisms we got some commonwealth colloquialisms Pudding, 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 over egg that pudding, yeah, we love that pudding, and the colloquialisms, oh yeah, oh yeah. Chiefy, mate, oh, Hello. what do you think, uh, yeah, what do you think you're doing if you, um, if you're blueing? You're blueing. You're blueing. Are you blueing, mate? Smoking? No. Want to take another crack? Because negative. Are you blueing? Uh, you, you and your girlfriend having a... Are you folks oh, blueing? Yeah, okay, yeah. You're having a fight. Having an, an argy-bargy. An argument, yeah. yeah. Mm. Okay. That's, that's Aussie slang for, for having an argument. Yes, blueing. I had, I, I had heard that before, but... Um, yes. Lost in the sands yes, of lost time. Lost in the sands of time. Um, my one, I've got, oh, I've got weak sauce here this week. I, I almost don't <laughs> want to say it. Come on, oh, come on. I don't want to say it. Um, of course, yeah, the soft I, option. Because I don't know if... because Now I've been looking it up and it says there's mid-20th century references from England that describe it as an Americanism and American newspaper articles that call it an old English phrase. So, Well, I'm neither of those nationalities, Chief. It might just work on me. Then it says the dates of those are more or less right, but not the locations. The phrase appears to have originated in Australia. So, oh, uh, I, well, I'm not Australian either yet. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, it uh, the phrase is "stone the crows." Yeah, it's, it's just a sort of a, a, a exasperation, isn't it? It's yeah, like, yeah. Oh they, man, yeah. Stone an, the crows. Uh, an exclamation of incredulity or annoyance. There you go. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, nice. it was weak sauce after all. <laughs> Winning it back for South Africa, baby. What is your South African one then? Ah, okay. If I was to say, Chief, you are just. What does that mean? Spell that for me. J A S. Just. It's like uh, you got two meetings, so okay. you you got two two chances of being right. Okay. Yeah. Probably, uh, Chief. You are the man. <laughs> i would love for someone to say that to you in south africa and you'd be like yeah i okay, am okay so maybe it's potentially going the other way then it means you're crazy dude all right okay yeah well that, that applies that's fine yeah indeed indeed chief you are just just my bro um and the other <laughs> <laughs> the other possibility is you are horny oh right okay that also applies as well so uh, two for two if, if you're on heat uh, you are just yeah you want to you want to get your rocks off <laughs> good stuff uh, i'm gonna i'm gonna try and up my game next week 
And uh, you better, Chief. Coming with Come something on, that's stronger. Yeah, yeah. Canada can't keep coming to your rescue, man. <laughs> <laughs> we did not put out a question, so for the, for the listeners this week, and on a rare occasion, we've actually decided to do this. We took a question from a listener. We took a question from a listener. He asked us something which we will now answer because we took an answer from a question from a person. Wow, that went badly. <laughs> Yeah, I I had one prepped. <coughs> oh, did you? Go on. Listeners, ask us a question. Listeners, ask us a question. We answer for you, because that's what we do. I mean, listeners, ask us a question. Yeah, that's your segment from now on. <laughs> that's your bit from now but, on. It's about time I got involved. That's I it. think I cocked it up a little bit. but No, that's uh, fine. That's, something that's like yours. That. Yeah, feel free to do a different one every week or try and remember your own words. Up to you. Uh, the silliness takes over what did the listener ask us chief uh this was actually from um michael on the facebook page and he said uh, if gi joe gets a netflix reboot should they try and integrate the following into the franchise inhumanoids mask the centurions or cops now quite a bit to play with there in terms of if there's a netflix show what are we talking live action are we talking animated i think both of those would work in very different ways Sure. It would be easier to do Joe in live action, and the more fanciful franchises would would not be as viable no, uh, in no. live action. Especially because I think of those, I guess they've all had cartoons, but none of them have had live action, to the best of my knowledge. Yeah, and they've integrated themselves into one another only kind of marginally. Chief, what's your knee-jerk on this? Like, do you have a gut response about mixing G.I. Joe with anything? I mean, I don't know. I suppose we've seen it in comics in terms of what IDW did with some of the other Hasbro properties, uh, especially with Transformers. There's been multiple G.I. Joe Transformers crossovers. If I'm being honest, I think there's probably three that I liked. Obviously, the Transformers G.I. Joe from Tom Scholey is top of the bill. I actually quite liked the 1980, uh, whenever it was, five or six, the four-issue miniseries crossover. Where, Never read it. Okay, Ooh, fine. Sacrilege. Uh, and then the other <laughs> one I'd I like to, is I'd like to. a... I think it was from Dreamwave, and it was written by John Nay Ryber, I think, and art from Jay Lee, and it was set in World War Two. I read that. Very stylized. Very stylized, oh. and I enjoyed that one. But all the rest, yeah, not really my bag, I don't think. So I'm not against it at all you know if i'm happy to try anything and i'm happy to say i didn't enjoy it i'm not i'm never gonna say don't you dare do that that's sacrilege because what if as with any content what if those content is produced and some people like it surely that's 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 okay though if some people enjoy it as long as it doesn't overly harm the brands or the franchise or or pull it down necessarily in the eyes of everyone then surely more content can't be viewed as too much of a bad thing but it just might not be for me or you or whoever but i don't know if that's me swerving the answer or not but in terms of gi joe i I wouldn't mind seeing a animated series where you know some cops show up or you know matt tracker pops in for for an episode or two I started watching the third season of the Transformers okay. in preparation for our Sholey episode. All right. It didn't really come up in the conversation, but it's interesting to see that they do incorporate G.I. Joe continuity, most specifically in the form of the character of uh, Flint and Lady J's offspring. 
Right. Marissa Fairborn okay. is a major ah, character. Ah, yes. And it's like, that's so nice to see this continuity brought into the future. Fantastic. Yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah, I hadn't talked on that. Yeah, yeah. But to answer the question, like my knee jerk is keep Joe, Joe. Let's get a winning formula when it comes to G.I. Joe before we start doing things that are crazy. Yeah, I wouldn't do it out of the box, most definitely. Out of the gate, I wouldn't be mixing these up. Like you say, establish something, get an audience, and then don't you know ram it down people's throats early on, or even to a to a massive extent, just kind of drip feed it in to see if it works almost. But then, here comes the curveball, Chief. Go on. GI Joe is chasing modern military action movies a little too hard. Yep. Like there was a huge scaling back after Rise of Cobra and its more fantastical elements to a more realistic military story in uh retaliation and i feel like if we go into the netflix world we're going to get an even stronger dose of realism which will kind of make gi joe a little bit too beige for me Mm. i want all the vibrant colors that we got with sholi's book yeah i think that is such a winning formula in in making a striking very gi joe or transformers kind of presentation because the second, you know, like, it can be hit or miss. James Bond tried to learn as much as it could from Jason Bourne. And so we got the Daniel Craig era, yeah. which has its pundits. You know, there are people that love it and, and say it's the greatest Bonds that were ever made. And then there are people that say, this is so rinsed. This is so not signature Bond. Yeah, straight from the formula. Yeah, we want that golden age approach again. That that is quintessential Bond. It's not trying to be Jason Bourne. It's not trying to put Bond into you know the era of tablets. I think, firstly, I think GI Joe works best as a early to mid eighties property. And if you're going to do something fanciful, let's learn a lesson from something like Stranger Things. And this is probably going to push all of Ben's buttons. So I hope I can one day (laughs) swap ideas with him. But if you're going to smash all these various properties together, why don't you give an overarching story, a narrative that is like kids at play, like our avatars, people that are Chief as a child, S-Jubs as a child, Ben, Jim Godfrey, Chris McCloud. We're all just kids playing with our respective toy lines irrespective of where they belong you know mix in a few star wars characters gi joe characters we're gonna team up with bumblebee and go on adventures together and when that happens we go into this world of our imagination so the characters handle themselves seriously but we have the license to do anything anything that a child at play would do. Yeah, that sounds really cool, actually. Uh, it's an idea that I'd love to develop, man. It could be a uh, better version than Ready Player One. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit, it's been done. Yeah, 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 yeah. Ready Player One. I mean, uh, look, it got a Gundam, an RX-78, onto the big screen. Yeah. Which... And it's something that's just wet our appetites. Yeah. So if that film served no other purpose other than that, I still call it a win. Let's have more of that, please. Yeah, fair. Except let's have Duke, Megatron, 
and Darth whoever Vader, the fuck the yeah. cops are. <laughs> Darth Vader. Yeah, it'll be like... There was a film in the 90s called... I think it was uh, The Little Indian, Indian in the Cupboard or something. Okay. The Indian in the Toy Chest, something like that. Yes, yeah. Hopefully the listeners know what I'm talking about. It was about a magic toy chest that you'd put your action figures into and they'd come out and they'd be living. Right. You know, and at one point, which is probably the most jubilant moment in the movie, this kid just puts a whole mess of toys in this cupboard, opens it, and it's like Darth Vader is fighting Indiana Jones. Oh, like, like, it's so cool. I just want more of that. <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> up the ante, make it more serious than like um, small soldiers or Toy Story. Yeah, it's not. It's not for laughs. Like when we go into this world, it is as serious as the real world. Yeah. But for some reason. You know, anything can happen. It is really just a sandbox of your imagination. Oh, that sounds good. That sounds good. Uh, S. Jobs is the ideas man. So, uh, and anyone who's got <laughs> any, you know, weight or sway wants to give this man. He's got a script in in the process, I imagine. So let's get this <laughs> let's get this green lit and made. <laughs> With any luck, we've answered your question, Mike. That yeah. Uh, yeah, we we wouldn't mind it coming to Netflix, but I would just want the, the yeah the the imagination to take hold. I want your version. I want your version. Yeah, yeah, definitely. A lot That's of people cool. would disagree with you, Chief. A lot of people want GI Joe Uber military total. Totally realistic, totally serious, and that would not allow for a crossover with Mask. Maybe, okay, Mask at the most extreme. Definitely not trans- Transformers, and definitely not like Visionaries or Rom the Space Knight. No, no. You know, everyone's got an, an idea about what they like, and I'm not here to tell people what they should and shouldn't like, but, you know, I'm open to, to pretty much anything, so let's just chuck it at the wall, see what happens, and, you know, there you go. Yeah. Centurions. Good. <laughs> Centurions, they'd work. Yeah, definitely, definitely, definitely. Um, Sweet. Good chat. Yeah. That was a good chat. I like that bit. Um, there'll be more of that, uh, more of that deep dive in next week when we will probably stick a question out for you, the listeners, uh, this time. But um, good stuff, good stuff. You can catch us in all the usual places. That's Talking underscore Joe on Twitter, Talking Joe Comics on Instagram, Talking Joe, a GI Joe podcast on Facebook. And yeah, where can the good people find you, sir? If you want to call me out on anything, the best way to do it is the Facebook group. But I suppose if you if you hit up any of the socials, be it Insta or Twitter for Talking Joe, just uh, tag me somehow. Man on Instagram and G.I. Joeberg on Twitter. Yep. And uh, you'll, you'll be able to bend my ear. Yeah. And you want to tell me I'm doing a good job or tell me that uh, new host required for Talking Joe. <laughs> not yet, not yet. Please, <laughs> please, please. You can find me over Chiefy Two Shoes over on Twitter and Instagram posting out my daily art pics from art from my collection. You can also find me obviously on the Outer Timers podcast network. We've just started a Patreon over there. We've got bonus content coming out. There's, um, I'm doing a comics discussion with Dave Faceman, my host from the Stooges Wrestling Podcast. We're going to be talking about Batman White Knight. And then there's also the Nostalgic Night, which is our monthly bonus content. Me and Ben will be sticking out, but um, check out that. Uh, But with all that said and done, we will catch you down the road. We've been talking Joe. Yeah, and we are out of Joe's. (laughs) (laughs) Yo, Joe! Crossed over with Musk. (laughs) Yo, Joe! Joe!